Coming live from Toronto, Canada is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts either through their industry insights, information or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like or comment on whichever platform you are watching or listening to this show on. And today we have Julian Chapman, President, Forest and Company, author, speaker, and transformational leader. Also, a Brigadier General from the Canadian Armed Forces. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much, AJ. It's terrific to be here with you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your time. And as you are, you know, holding such important positions in life and presently with Forest and Company, so you are the right person to tell us about you know, about managers, about companies, about how to manage, how managers should manage their workforce best. And so we'll be talking of, about the art of managing managers with you. So welcome to the show once again. So how does this art of managing managers work, sir? Is there a step-by-step? -step? Um, I suppose it is a step-by-step, -step, AJ, um, but it's a, it's a great question. I think most of the time we talk about managing teams. We don't talk about managing managers. And it's a very different thing to be managing managers than just to be managing a group of direct reports because managers have an important role to play in the organization. They're the driving force. They're the ones that deliver the strategy for the organization. And we don't spend enough time talking about the nature of managing managers as distinct from managing direct reports. That's okay. my premise at any rate. Right, right. So how do we get them to, you know, manage their workforce better? Because you see, uh, in the hierarchy of things, uh, the CEOs or the other senior people are, they are in their own places. They can make policies. But actually, you know, the day-to-day -day operations are being handled by managers and they have to manage their team and that's where actually the make or break about a company happens uh how do you see that in the backdrop of you know so much of uh negativity developing at our workplaces everywhere you see uh, there is so much of stress especially you know recently bbc also came out with a news story where they were talking about passive aggressive behaviors from several people within the organization, and that was leading to a lot of problems. How do you see that in this backdrop? How do you see that managers can actually fulfill a role that they should be fulfilling? It's a great question, AJ, and at the cornerstone of it all is accountability. The issues of our world today are the lack of accountability. And I distinguish between accountability and responsibility. The English language has that advantage. Unfortunately, it creates confusion because if you look in the dictionary and you look up accountability, it says see responsibility and you look up responsibility, it says see accountability. So that doesn't help. But let me give you a, a simple example here. By responsibility, I mean a personal feeling of obligation. If you've ever seen children playing football, or soccer as we refer to it in North America, you see a group of kids clustered around a ball. Some of them are picking flowers. Some of them have been taught by their parents 
that they must go and, and score at all costs. That's the nature of responsibility. We throw all the weight onto the individual, whereas accountability is we know our job and we're held to account by our manager to deliver on that. In other words, we know our position. So a professional football team, everybody knows their position. They pass the ball back and forth. And when they score, they score as a team. That's a similar analogy to the issues in the workplace. We rely solely on the individual. And so we allow passive aggressive behavior to grow and become real and, and to cause all sorts of things to happen. And just because managers are not holding people accountable. And I would suggest that the passive aggressive behavior isn't in the front line necessarily, it's actually further up. And that's why the manager of managers is so critical to really drive the change and to create the change to get rid of that passive aggressive behavior, to deal with it head on and, and to deal with it in such a way that creates a great place to work. Our job here at Forest & Company is about creating great places to work that deliver the strategy. And I say that because it's the tension between a great place to work and the strategy. And managers are the ones that bring those two things together, that bring management and leadership together in a way that actually creates a great place to work, but that can also deliver the strategy. It's not up to the individual employees. It's up to management to drive that. And we've forgotten that. Right. Right, Julian. We forgot that. But you see, it's such a strange thing in a football uh, team or soccer team. Everybody knows their role very clearly. And they do their role according to what has been assigned. And whenever you fall short of that role or there is a new strategy that is needed then the team coach is there to take care of things and somebody goes in somebody comes out and you know somebody who can be used at critical moments but in a place like uh, top companies or organizations where people have been trained so much from uh, lower to highest level uh, to be doing their roles they are not able to uh, do their roles. In fact, many companies, <coughs> excuse me, fail to tell their managers exactly. <coughs> sorry, <coughs> sorry, sorry. <coughs> sorry, a bit of cold and cough. So they forget to tell their employees or the leadership or the lead, uh, you know, managers, ma leaders, that exactly what is expected of them and then it is not very clear and it impacts the business so how does employees or managers identify which direction the organization is moving how do they get their cues from their leadership whoever they are reporting to where is there that's the whole area where the problem lies if i understand yes and, and i would suggest there's two things at play here there's just these two things one is it has to be driven by the strategy. In other right. words, what is at the core? And that's the role of the CEO in conjunction with their board, say, uh, if that's the case, to define what is the organization all about? What does it want to be when it grows up, in other words? So they need to have that. But then the other is a very real human thing. 
And if you think about how we grow and develop as leaders, as I refer to them as managerial leaders, and I'll talk about that a little later on, but how we grow is we start off with a technical expertise. Maybe I'm accountant, maybe I'm an HR expert, maybe I'm an operations expert, a marketing expert, whatever the case may be. So I have this technical know-how and that forms the foundation. But then when I get put into a managerial leadership role, suddenly that's on top of that. And if I haven't made the shift to realize that my work is now the management of tasks and the leading of people, then I still get caught in, you know, take the finance person, I loved looking at spreadsheets. The HR person, I love dealing with HR issues. Instead of realizing that I must be a manager of task and a leader of people. In other words, back to that bringing together the people and the task side. And I would argue that what we're missing in business is a profession of managerial leadership. Instead, what happens is in organizations, I have my technical expertise, which I love, and I do this management and leadership stuff off the side of my desk, just over here to the side. I want to get back to the technical stuff right here in front of me. What we have to do is we have to create that shift. And it's the managers of managers that create that shift away from keeping managerial leadership on the side of the desk and putting it right up front where it has to be. And so it's that combination of lack of strategy and clarity of strategy. And then the fact that we don't really make sure that our managers are behaving as appropriate managers, exercising managerial leadership. So I may be overly simplistic, but it's very real in all the clients that I've experienced it in is this lack of profession of managerial leadership. Right. Lack of professional managerial leadership. Now, Julian, uh, let me ask you in this manner. Perhaps uh, people who are listening to watching to this program, they will understand it in a different way if I ask you this question uh, better. That, uh, and even the CEOs or all the top leadership or managers, if they will be seeing this program. What are the impact? How do you see this lack of clarity, accountability, and authority? How do these things impact a business? What are the ways they are impacting? Maybe these numbers or the ways you will put it will make people understand the level it, to its, which it impacts. Exactly. And what I refer to that as, as organizational pain, the lack of professional managerial leadership creates organizational pain. We end up in too many meetings. We're unsure of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, we we fight and squabble over resources. There is no innovation going on. In fact, there's acrimony. We're actually fighting with one another uh, in, in disagreements and all of these sort of things. We don't have the right talent in the organization and so things fall apart. We're not hitting our goals. From a CEO's perspective, in, our, in my experience with CEOs, there are four things that CEOs see as their pain. One is we're not hitting our goals, right? The number of CEOs that set goals and go, we're not hitting our goals. We, we have no innovation, nothing new is happening inside the organization. 
The third one is that I'm not sure how well we're really taking care of our customer. Okay. And finally, the last one is we lack an engaged workforce. Those are the four things that CEOs see, but employees see it as confusion. And is this my job? Is that your job? In other words, we're children on a, on a football field and we're running around chasing balls, but we're not getting anywhere. That's the real pain of the lack of managerial leadership. All pain in the organization is a result of poor managerial leadership. It's not the results of the employees, because if the employees are not doing well, it's because their managers are not leading them well. And that we somehow place the blame onto the individual. It is the role of managerial leaders to lead their people in such a way that moves them forward. And if I'm in a job that I really can't figure out how to do it, then find me a job that is better suited. Or maybe I have to leave the company then. But it's very rare that that's the case. Instead, we go to one extreme or the other. We either fire them or we give them a bonus if they're doing really well. We need to manage a spectrum of how we lead our people. It's a spectrum of both positive and negative. And you know, there's an old line that uh, the guru uh, Ken Blanchard came up with, which was catch them doing something right. Spend time on the positive so that when you go to the negative, it has more of an impact. You have to do the same thing when you're leading leaders or managing managers. You have to do exactly the same things, but you have to recognize the impact that a managerial leader has in the organization. Right. Is that Give right, us right. perspective. Right, right. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So, well, who do you think uh, should the box, uh, you know, stop at? Who is responsible for uh, a problem, some like this? Because you see, CEOs, if you see, either they are from highly trained, skilled backgrounds, or they are from very top MBA schools, business schools, or they have learned their things while growing up. Even managers below them, several rungs below them, are from good backgrounds, if you look at it from that way. And then you have the <coughs> lesser mortals who have to you know, work on the ground. So who should the buck stop at? Well, I, I would argue that the old adage, the fish rots from the head. It's all at the top of the house. It's because the CEO sets the climate, sets the strategy, establishes the vision, the mission, the values, but most importantly, the values and establishes how we should behave in order to deliver the strategy. We all actually exist inside the organization to deliver the strategy. It doesn't matter whether you're a not-for-profit or a for-profit we're there to deliver the strategy, but too many times we are unclear on the strategy. We don't know what we're really trying to deliver and our managers don't unpack the strategy as it comes down through the organization. They don't connect us to the strategy and that's where it falls apart. But first and foremost, the number one person who's accountable for it all is the CEO. And as we've seen, 
CEOs are held accountable by their boards. There's a disconnect there because in a lot of cases, yeah. the board is oblivious. And they're not doing their due diligence to ensure that they have the right chief executive officer who is actually going to drive the behaviors, who is going to hold the organization accountable. And there's and it goes to extremes now. We enter into the realm of risk, of corruption, of money laundering, all of those sort of things now enter into it if the CEO is not doing the job. So right. when I say it stops at the CEO, it's also the job of the board. Right. Absolutely. I got it. Now, uh, Julian, by and large, we understand if there's no money laundering involved or any other nefarious activities involved, in a general sense, everybody uh, wants to do a good work. And most of the people who are CEOs or top managers, they are there. They want to make a good name for themselves, uh, do some good work, earn better salaries, and maybe, you know, make a better case for themselves to run, go to a bigger and better company, perhaps. But they all have good intentions in mind. Then as soon as you take over, what is it that distracts you so much that you are not able to do your job in spite of having the best of intentions? What, where is the, you know, problem? Well, I, it, that's a great point, AJ. You've, you've hit the nail on the head. And that becomes that disconnection. So yes, the CEO may have the greatest of intentions and they generally do. A lot of CEOs that I know are very nice people. They don't wanna have the tough conversations. There's a very human reaction to, to things. And we, we refer to it as anaclesis. We as human beings lean on things. We lean on our beliefs and we lean on our relationships with others. When we lean on our beliefs, we're not willing to accept new beliefs. When we lean on our relationships with others, we become fearful of damaging those relationships. And so we don't have the necessary conversations. And what happens is that in organizations, when we allow this anaclesis to grow and to fester, we don't get the right things happening. We're unwilling to change. So we're unwilling to change in the face of changing circumstances, or we're unwilling to have the necessary conversations. We recommend to our clients that the first and foremost accountability of every employee should be that they are accountable to give their manager their best advice. Now that sounds simple, but what that means is the manager has to be able to poke and prod for that best advice, but also has to put their tin hat on, their body armor on, and accept that best advice. But all too often, we're unwilling to. We're unwilling to accept that we're not doing everything to our fullest. And so what I argue is, is that we have to recognize that we need to exercise a leadership what I refer to as enlightened leadership, which is that we are authentic, that we really understand ourselves and we can accept those slings and arrows that come at us. We need to be servant, caring for our employees because they're doing the work for us. 
and we need to be transformational. We need to be leading them forward into the future, creating the change and developing our people because you're right on the money. Everybody comes to work expecting to do their best jobs. Now, I often say that and everybody goes, well, what about Joe or whatever? Joe's just trying to fulfill his basic needs. But by and large, what we're trying to do is we're all trying to do a great job. And it's uh, the job of the managers to clear the path so that we can do that by clarifying our work and by clarifying what authority we have to do our work, what resources we have, and by demanding best advice from our employees. That's not right. just about complaining. It's about best advice. Right. Right, Julian. So is it time now to get the CEO away from the corner room to somewhere in the middle of things? Well, there's a, there's an advantage to that, but there's also a danger because sometimes uh, CEOs, because all of the weight is on their shoulders, they feel they have to get engaged. They have to leap in there and, and hear what's going on down at the bottom of the organization. There is an advantage to that, but there's also a disadvantage. And that is, is that if I do that, I'm not holding my managers accountable throughout the organization. Okay right? I'm just catching them when they're doing, when they haven't done something. What we need to drive is we need to drive those managers to do that work, to have the conversations, to look for the problems and to be problem solvers. This is all about creating continuous improvement. None of us is perfect. No organization is perfect. Those pain points that I listed off can be for any organization. There is no such thing as perfection, but there is such a thing as continually improving. And we need to recognize that. And we need to be driving our managers to continuously improve, finding the flaws, because there's nothing wrong. We all make mistakes. The real mistake is when we don't learn from the mistakes. And I refer to this as the managerial leadership journey, which is a book that I've written around this being a journey. It is a journey. It's not just a one and done thing. It's not that you took a course once and now you've got your, the, the, the check is, uh, the check mark is done and away you go and go back to what you love to do, your technical expertise. It's about, this is a journey. And I know in my experience, I've made all the mistakes in the book. Not just the book that I've, I've written, but all the mistakes of all the books that are written. I've made lots of mistakes, but I have to have learned from them. And I have to realize that it's all about continually getting better. It's a journey. It's not just, it's a, and that's why it has to be a profession because it is a journey. You, you are a humble man, uh, Julian. You, you can freely tell that you made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but you have achieved so much, you know, but a lot of CEOs never do that. They make a lot of mistakes and they never acknowledge it. They are not authentic. They're trying to be something that they're not. And we really do have to take the time and really understand who we are, what we're good at, you know, because there are things that make us absolutely unique and what we're not so good at. And in some cases, we can get people to help us with the things that we're not good at. But I would argue that we also need to, to develop our own selves in those things that we're not good at. And right. Right. The, the other element to this is, is that 
it all comes down to thinking. It's how we think in the workplace. And I talk about thinking in the book about thinking is the undiscovered country. It is the ultimate diversity. We have a tool that we use for assessing people's thinking styles. I have yet to find in the thousands of people that I have profiled, any two people in the same organization with exactly the same profile. That means that we all see the same things, but we think about them differently. And so it's about how do you capture that thinking and enable people to challenge their thinking instead of doing things the same old way. Because anaclesis that I referred to earlier causes us to lean on our old ways of doing things and not to think differently about things. And the right. number of times that I see the tensions in teams and the tensions amongst individuals, it's because we're all thinking differently. And the job of the manager is to bring that thinking together to get it to a point where we can actually be successful. Right, right, Julian. See, you, um, in fact, you spoke about your book. I would have asked you about it. The managerial leadership journey and unconventional business pursuit. Now, let's talk about solutions. And that's where your book also comes in. Tell us about your book and what have you talked in terms of solutions about uh, what the CEO should do, what the managers should do so that uh, the company uh, should benefit. You see, a company is not only about profits and about people who have just put in their money and waiting for their returns. Perhaps they have that deep pocket, they can bear the losses. But what about the economy? What about the jobs that are at stake? So for that thing, the company must run and it must run profitably. So what, is, what are the solutions that you have suggested in your book? What should people do? Well, first and foremost, I go back to we need to exercise accountability. And with every accountability needs to be commensurate authority. So you have to build an, you have to build a culture of accountability inside your organization. And then I talked about the nature of leadership. So we need to be enlightened leaders. We need to be authentic, servant, and transformational. And then the last two chapters of the book are actually a series of tools that the leader side of us needs and the manager side of us needs. On the leadership side, it's about training our thinking and challenging our thinking. I would argue that in order to be truly successful as a leader, you also need to take care of yourself. You need to absolutely tell, take care of yourself. I see far too many cases where leader self-care is not in place, but you need to be following up with your employees. It's not just flying in, dumping a bunch of stuff, making a bunch of noise, and then leaving. You have to follow up and you have to follow through with these things. On a management side, communications is essential. And I talk about different types of teams and also learning from our mistakes. We, we utilize with our clients a thing called the after action review. Far too many times we don't pause when something happens and assess why did it go right or why did it go wrong? We assume and we go very quickly to an assumption oh, with such and such, but it's never just that one thing that caused it. So the after action review is critical to that. 
And finally, we have to set up a rhythm inside our teams, inside our organizations of how we communicate, how we plan, all of those sort of things. There's a lot of work to managerial leadership, and this is why it has to be a profession. And so, as I said, and there are other tips and tools throughout the book. The book is designed in such a way for the manager of managers to assess how well they're doing at the end of each chapter. How well am I doing here? How well are my managers doing this? We have to be continually assessing as we go through. Right. Right, uh, Julian. Now, in terms of very basic question, I should have asked this earlier on. It just missed my mind. Maybe I've got because of this cup and cold. <coughs> this manager of managers, you know, managers who are managing, who should be, how do we identify them? Who are these? What level? Can you specify in terms of, you know, uh, that these are at this level and this is till this level. Rest are just workers. Well, one of the pieces that I talk about in the book is, is that the levels inside an organization have to represent something, not just titles. They have to represent the nature of complexity. Okay. And so when I talk about managers of managers, so I talk about the first line, the first level where all the execution takes place, where the critical execution takes place is the front line. Then the managers of the front line are those that manage that execution. The first level of managing managers is what we refer to in North America as director level. It's okay. the third level inside an organization. And then everybody from there up are managers of managers. But it's not about the hierarchy of importance. You know, in a film set, the, the employees in effect are the front line are the actors. But notice who gets paid the most? Not the director at the second level, who's the manager of them. Not the third level, which is the producer. It's actually those front line because they are critical. We have to keep that execution happening. And that's the role of management is to make sure the execution's happening. Okay. Okay, Julian. Now, where does, you know, that we have talked about the CEO, we also mentioned about the board, and we have also talked about the, you know, managerial leadership. Amidst all these things, you know, where does this, uh, the human resource department come in? The HR heads, or nowadays there is a title called CHRO, Chief Human Resource Officer, if I'm uh, right. So where do they, they are also large, uh, big roles, and what is their role actually, and what are they doing amidst all these things? First and foremost, their role is to support. They are there to be partners to management. They're not there to be police. They're not there to be services delivery. They are there to be the partners. And far too often I see human resources that is all about human resources and not about supporting management to take care okay. of the execution. And so they get into a policing role. We're going to police this policy. Policies are created to curb people's sense of responsibility, their personal feeling of obligation. In the accountability management system, we're holding everyone accountable. We're applying consequences, both good or bad. And so it's not about running a bunch of policies. 
and driving these policies, they're there to support. And it's about moving all those things that get dumped on the human resources back to management where they need to be. Because managers have to ensure three things. They have to ensure that employees are safe physically, mentally, and socially. And far too often, we don't let that happen. We don't make sure. Instead, HR takes that on. That's the job of management, to protect their employees, to ensure that they are safe physically, mentally, and socially. Right, Julian. So when you say support, support whom? Because support the management. Support management. The management. And, and management. And where do the employees come in? Because it's called human resource. Then there is a people officer. There are different titles that have come up. You know, uh, so how do we how do we look at things positively? How do we get them to actually support in a positive manner uh, within the setup? Some companies have genuine setups where they actually want to uh, do something for everybody. There might be a case of a bad apple here and there. But amidst all these things, uh, how do they get down to doing the job that they have been assigned to? Their job is to support the managers to be better managers so that they're not there as the shop steward to the employees. They're not there to be the the buffer between management and employees. This is about creating trust in our management, rebuilding the trust in our management. Instead of having this offshoot where if I don't like what's happening to me, I go and talk to human resources. If I don't like what's happening to me and I'm in conflict with my manager, I should be able to go to my manager once removed, my manager's manager and say, what's going on here? And my manager once removed, once they understand that they're accountable to listen to that, have to be paying attention to how their managers are managing. And they have to be taking an active interest. So in fact, there are two levels here that should be looking at the care of their employees. And that is the manager and the manager once removed. And the manager once removed should also be looking at the career path for their employees. So now I have a manager who coaches me in my day-to-day work and I have a manager once removed who's actually focusing on my career path. Now I have a great place to work. I can actually have a career here. It's not about me finding my career. It's about management is caring for me. Back to that servant leadership. Management is caring for me and ensuring that I have a career path, that I have a future. Right, Julian, right. Uh, Now, I just was curious to understand, Julian, you know, you bring so many years of experience as a, a, you know, brigadier general, then you are the president of this company. Tell us, how do you manage and put all these things together, then you, you know, advise a lot of people. How do you do together? This is a great, you know, example of time management, life management, and, you know, and a lot of things. So just was curious to understand that for the audience. Well, it's, it's funny you should say that, AJ, because it really was time management. Most of my 34 years in the Canadian Army, I was a reservist. So I had a full-time job and I had a part-time job. I can't tell you which one was part-time and which one was (laughs) full-time, but I had to balance those. 
And we all have to balance these things. And then on top of that, family, you know, all of those sort of things. We all have to balance these things. That's why leader self-care is so critical because we burn a lot of energy in our day-to-day -day work. But the one common denominator between my army background and my, my career in, in consulting, coaching and training is everything is about human beings. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's all about human beings. They are the common denominator. And I just happen to have brought my military background in with the civilian world, and but they mesh quite nicely together because it's about human beings. Okay, okay. As you say in your uh, book, Julian, that you know a great place to work is not just possible; it's in your hands. Now, tell it, explain it for the sake of for, for the audience as well as a lot of you know people who are you know managing their team so that they can understand exactly what depth there is into this sentence. Well, I'm going to use the, the phrase that I have in the book. There's a great line by uh, Field Marshal Viscount Slim, who during the Second World War uh, you know, fought the Japanese in India and in, and in Burma. And he had a great line. He said, there are no bad regiments, only bad officers. So I've twisted that. There are no mm -hmm. bad organizations, only bad managers. So the role of managers of managers is to ensure that there are no bad managers. That's how it's all within your hands to create that great place to work. Where employees are engaged, they know what their work is. They're given the resources that they need to do their work. They have someone that's focused on, their, on helping them in their day-to-day -day work, and they have someone who's focused on their career path. That's how right. you create a great place to work. Right, right. You are indeed putting a, giving a lot of value to not to organizations. You have given a lot of value to your country, to your uh, to your uh, to the army that you served, and now you are you know giving a lot of value to the clients and all. So Julian, if people want to connect with you, businesses want to connect with you, uh, and also if they want to buy your book, how do they do that? So the book is available on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. The managerial leadership journey. Uh, or under my name, Julian Chapman. A quick search will do that. Uh, we also have a website for the book, managerialleadershipjourney.com, uh, where there's an opportunity to engage there. Or you can find us at forestandco.com. So in this age of uh, in this age of technology, there's lots of different ways. But the book is available on Amazon.com. Green cover in the background there. Managerial leadership journey. Right. Right, Julian. You see, we uh, actually, I enjoyed a lot and I'm sure a lot of our audience have enjoyed and understood and took a lot of valuable understanding of not only running their businesses or workplaces better, but also managing their, you know, life as happy and, uh, and, and you know, effective that that's possible by watching you, you know, your happy face actually tells it all, Julian. So, so I'm sure, you know, uh, there will be a lot of conversation going forward. And this is just the beginning. Well, look forward. thank you, AJ. And thank you for this opportunity. Great. Great. So look have forward a, to have a great day. To more conversations. With this, it's a wrap on this edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you once again.